Welcome to episode 71 of the Process Podcast, Work Ethic. Welcome to episode 71 of the Process Podcast. I am Amante Martin. Uh, today we have Mr. Brad Butler joining us on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Brad. Hey, what's going on? How you doing? All right, all right. Can you tell the listeners where you're from? New Jersey, born and raised. New Jersey. What was it like growing up in northern East Coast? We're down here in Florida, so what was it like growing up there? Well, I feel like I had a little bit of uh, the best of both worlds because uh, my earlier years, from my birth until the age of eight, I was in Jersey City, um, urban areas of Jersey City, and you know I had the upbringing of an urban lifestyle there. And then from then, uh, uh, the age of eight, I moved to the suburbs of East Windsor. So then I was able to see what the suburban lifestyle was like. So um, I kind of had the best of both worlds. Did you have any uh, siblings? What was your upbringing like? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I have a full-blooded sister, and then I have uh, my other half-sister. So it's seven of us in total. Seven? Uh, yeah, seven oh. of us in total. I'm the youngest. I'm the only boy. Oh, you're the youngest and the only boy. Yeah. Uh, what was that dy- dynamic like? <laughs> uh, it's crazy because, uh, you know, my father, he always wanted a son, so he kept trying until he got one. <laughs> Did you play any sports uh, growing up? Were you athletic? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually a former athlete turned uh, motivational speaker. I ran track. Uh, I, my main thing was football. So I, I did football in high school, uh, college. Uh, I played semi-pro. Um, yeah, like I, I won some championships. I was recruited to Team America, played uh, for them against Canada in the Globe Bowl. I won, you know, won a couple different championships and stuff. So I had a good time with it. But um, honestly, I knew I wasn't necessarily going to go pro or anything like that. Like, my, you know, my statue might not be able to tell from, <laughs> you know, you know, the, the the video or my pictures or anything like that. But I'm I'm five eight, and the most I've ever weighed in my life is 160 pounds. Oh wow! So yeah, but I was still out there playing football with the rest of them starting you know shutting down receivers that were like six two six three it, it was like i was just used to it like yeah other people were like okay i don't know how he does 
that being that small, I'm like, well, I don't know how to do it any other way. So I don't know what it's like to be six foot one. Yeah, yeah, you had to do it your way. You you said you played football, high school, uh, you played a little bit of college and semi-pro. What was that transition like? You know, when did you start taking football serious? Uh, was it high school or how was that process? Um, honestly, every day that I played football, it was, uh, I looked at it as kind of just like a gift because I really wasn't supposed to be playing football. Like yeah. with my stature and everything, I really wasn't supposed to be playing football. Uh, and I played defense, I was a corner. So, yeah. you know, I'm running around there and I'm undersized and I'm hitting cats. So it's like, you really should not be doing this. Um, Cause normally when you see somebody that's undersized playing football, they play offense. So yeah. they might be a running back when they're, you know, they're short, or they might be a slot receiver, you know, the West Welkers of the world, you know, those type of people. I wasn't playing offense. I was playing defense. I was playing corner. I was out there on the island, like by myself. So it was like, listen, it's do or die. Like you gotta hold, like you gotta keep it together and hold your own, or it's like, bro, you ain't gonna be playing for much longer. But for me, the only reason why I played football as long as I did was because my brother, not my blood brother, but my best friend, um, but blood wouldn't make us any closer. Uh, my brother, his name is Sam, he got injured when it was our junior year in high school and he had this crazy like one in a million injury where somebody landed on his leg and it caused a blood clot and almost went to his heart and he almost died. Wow. So uh, it, it, it threw off his career path as a football player. He was able to finish his senior year, but after that, he wasn't able to play anymore. So I always looked at it as, man, if, uh, if my brother Sam was in my position, what would he do? How far would he go? And uh, I always thought of it as like he'd go as far as he could possibly go. So I never thought I was going to go any further than playing high school football. But I was offered an opportunity to play uh, college football. I did that. I walked onto a football team. I made the team. And then from there, I just, you know, another opportunity uh, opened up for me to play semi-pro football. I did that. Then another opportunity opened up for me to play uh, or when I was recruited to uh, Team America, I played in the Globe Bowl. And then after that, I had an opportunity. I had two contracts that were offered to me to play overseas to play professional football, but I turned them down because I didn't want to leave my wife for six months out of the year. Mm -hmm. It didn't make sense to me. And then I had one last opportunity that popped up where uh, I was uh, I was able to, I, I went to the camp for the, the, the New Jersey flight. And I went to their camp and I made it through uh, the tryout that they had and I made it in the camp and I made it all the way down to the last cut that they had. And unfortunately I didn't make the last cut. Wow, wow. So, I mean, just thinking about your football journey alone, what did you learn about yourself? Um, honestly, the, the thing I learned about myself is that I'm really, cap I'm, I'm really capable of doing a lot. Um, a lot of things I didn't know that I was capable of doing, but it's not because of my athletic ability or my skill set. It's because I'm one of those people where I'm really determined. I don't like people telling me what I can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. So for me, if you tell me that I can't do something, I'm probably going to go out of my way to prove you wrong. Yeah. And uh, I I'm just a hard worker. I'm one of those people where the coaches never had a problem with me as a player because I always did what they were asking me to do. And I was a, a cerebral player. I, even though I was fast and quick, I never depended on my speed and my quickness to get me out of situations. I used my speed and my quickness and I used my alignment. I used my, my knowledge of the game and the plays that were being called to put me in the proper position so that, okay, I know you're six foot three. Like I know you're six foot four and I know you want to throw a fade in the end zone or whatever. I know what you're trying to do. 
but I'm not going to allow you to do that. I'm going to take away the thing that you want to do. So I'm going to force you into something that you don't really want to do, or that's not necessarily a strength for you. And when I force you into that, I'm going to have somebody over here who's a part of my defense who's waiting for you. Well, as far as my family, uh, I, I learned a lot from my family as far as, you know, understanding how to overcome adversity. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my my uh, my mother and my father, they were uh, urban pharmacists. We'll use that. <laughs> uh, very popular urban pharmacists, and you know they got into the game together, and they were doing their thing, uh, making their money. And you know, obviously, they found they ran into a roadblock because my father ended up going to jail. And then when he got out, I asked my father not to go back to jail. And this is all while I was still in Jersey City. Mm-hmm. And uh, he made a decision that a real man makes. And he said, all right, I'm not going to sell drugs no more. I'm going to find a way to just, you know, work a nine to five, a regular job to be able to take care of my family. And that's what he did, but it caused a lot of stress because he was used to getting fast money. And now I went to, okay, I'm waiting every two weeks to get a check. And it's not even that much money. Yeah. And um, from there, uh, the stress led my mother and my father to become heroin addicts. So uh, they struggled with that, but they also were able to beat their addiction on their own. So they beat their addiction, got themselves clean, and they've been clean to this day. And uh, yeah, like, so for me, I just always looked at it as like, wow, man, they could, if they could overcome that, you know, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen to me in my life, but uh, if they can beat that, then, you know, I can figure everything else out uh, as I go. Um, and then uh, the biggest accomplishment to date in my life is, you know, the fact that my wife said I do. Yeah. You know, that my wife said like she was willing to spend the rest of her life with me and do this thing called life by my side. Um, that's that's something that I wear as like a badge of honor. Like some people take it for granted and I really don't. Um, I'm very thankful that my wife saw something in me that, um, you know, she she's willing to say, yeah, you know, I believe this is a good person. Somebody I'm, I'm willing, like, like, I don't yeah. think people really realize that, like, this is somebody saying that I'm devoting the rest of my life to you, yeah. you know? So I just don't, I just don't take that lightly. Like I, every day I'd wake up and I try to do the best that I can to be the best husband I can to create the best uh, future I can uh, for her, the, the best lifestyle I can possibly uh, create for her. But I wanted to take a step back to ask you, you know, in terms of your upbringing with your parents and everything, what did you learn from that experience? After that whole situation with my parents, I ended up moving. My parents felt that it would be the best idea for me to leave from Jersey City to go to East Windsor with my father because my parents separated. Mm-hmm. So went to there and about a couple weeks into the school system, I end up in special ed classes, mm-hmm. right? So I'm throwing these special ed classes and I'm struggling with it and I'm stuck in special ed classes for up for 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. I graduated from high school in special ed classes, so I'm I'm not happy. Yeah. But um it was what it was, but I looked at it as if my mother and my father were able to beat a drug addiction, then I would be able to beat the school system. Yeah. I was in ESC classes, you know, special ed classes. What was that feeling like, you know, being labeled, you know? Man, uh, it, it, it's 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 one of those things you it's hard to describe. It's, it feels like you don't have a choice. I'm one of those people where I like to have options. Yeah. You know, like when you go to a restaurant, you go there because of the options. You don't go to a restaurant and they, you know, the waiter comes out here and like, listen, you're going to have a salad and that's it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think that's how life is. Like, we should have options in life. And there are so many people who try to put labels on you based on your background, your upbringing, uh, your demographic, your skin, whatever. 
there's a number of things out there that people automatically look at you and they just judge you and they put a label on you. Ah, special ed. Ah, okay, you, you're not tall enough. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. Not smart enough. Uh, you don't come from the right side of town. Your family don't, this or that, whatever. They'll make up a, a, a number of different things. Mm-hmm. And if you listen to these people, you will forever feel like you're never good enough. And any like it doesn't matter what you do, you're never gonna be good enough. There are people out there who have doctorates. They're, they're smart individuals, right? There are people who have been super successful. They have wealth and fame and fortune, but they have no peace. Yeah. They have no happiness because they still are bound by the labels that people have placed on them and they haven't had enough courage or they haven't gotten the therapy to stop and remove those labels from themselves so they can actually figure out who they really are and what makes them happy. So how did you redefine yourself? What was your turning point for you? Oh man, I I failed so many times that I wasn't worried about what people were saying about me. Yeah. <laughs> Like when you in special ed classes, you fail so much, you fail at this or that, or you already feel like you're not good enough. So my thing was, there were so many people in the world, as far as like students, right? Mm-hmm. So many of students in the world who were just trying, like they were like, oh, I want to be successful. I want to get the best grades, this or that, right? And I just wanted to make, I, I just wanted to meet the standard. I just wanted to be normal. Like I just wanted to be average. I just wanted people to look at me as like I was a regular kid, a regular student, like everybody else. Yeah. But because I was in special ed classes, that wasn't the case. So I was always working. I was always grinding. I was always trying to do my best in everything that I did because I felt like I was in lack in this area of, of education. Mm-hmm. So there's so many other people who are like, I'm just trying to be successful. And I'm trying to do this and trying to make it, trying to make it, trying to make it. I'm trying to make this money or whatever. And they run into a roadblock or they fail a test, fail a quiz or something like that. And they shut down. The way I looked at it was it didn't matter how many A's I got in special ed classes. They wasn't going to take me out those classes. So I always looked at it as a failure. So I just kept going and working and working and working. So when I failed a test or something or I failed a class, I'll just brush it off. All right, well, I'm coming back. I'm going to take it again. All right, I didn't get the promotion. All right, I didn't make the sale. All right, I'm coming back. I'm going to just do it again. Me working in the speaking industry, uh, looking for an opportunity. I asked for the opportunity. They say no. Uh, I asked for a certain amount of money uh, you know, for me to speak, and they say no, they don't have it. All right, I'm, I'm like, okay, cool. I just brush it off and keep it pushing because I'm used to the no's. Like, I've taken hundreds and thousands of no's in my life. So when the yes comes, I'm like, all right, cool. Yeah. Uh, but I was, well, I was already ready to take a no if it came. Yeah. But there's so many people who are just looking to be successful. And I was just trying to meet the standard. I was just trying to be normal or be average. And my work ethic made me surpass normal. My work ethic made me surpass average and get to the point where I actually created some success. Mm-hmm. I tell I tell people all the time, I learned how to swim because I almost drowned. I was at a summer camp, man. I jumped in the deep end and what I was doing, I was kicking and flailing and thought I was going to drown, grabbed onto the edge and... You know, I survived and from there I was like, well, I guess it's time to learn how to swim. You know, I guess right. if you if you fail so many times, I guess it's time to learn how to, you know, do it right and encourage yourself. So what was next for you? Like once because you, you had the situation with your at home life, you had, you know, school going on and you were playing sports, you know, what was that transition like, I guess, from high school to college uh, in terms of, you know, academically and athletically? Uh, everything's faster. Yeah everything is faster so the as far as academically uh obviously you know the the 
the professors don't care. Yeah. <laughs> they don't care. You know that. You you got to be in a PhD program, so you know full well. And I'm doing, working on my masters right now. These professors don't care. Like they're there to teach, and they out of there. Right? They're not really there to build a strong bond and relationship with you. It's not like how it was in high school where they saw you every day and they, you know, hey, how you doing? How's your mom? How's your dad? Is everything all right? This is that. Oh, you were sick. Are you feeling better? They don't care. Like they want their money. <laughs> you know, that, that's what that's about. They want their money. So I started looking at it as, okay, cool. No problem. This is strictly business. So give me the syllabus let me look at the syllabus okay th this has to be done on this date right in most cases they don't even care if you come to class or not as yeah. long as you give them what they're asking for on the date that they want it they like cool so yeah. my thing was all right i'm not the smartest in the world so i'll go get some help like i'll ask for some help get a tutor whatever i got to do but as long i'm like i'm not going to have any chance at all as far as passing the class if i don't hand in what they're asking me to hand in on time yeah. yeah. That, like you automatically lost if you handed this stuff late. Like yeah. that that's a guarantee. Like you could the work that you did, you might have been able to get a C, right? But you handed it in late, so now you got a D or an F. <laughs> yeah. And that's drastic. Like that's yeah. a drastic change. So as far as school academics, I realized it's really, really hard to fail a class if you show up every day. Yeah. So I just started showing up every day and handing and handing in everything they asked me to hand in and just doing what they asked me to do. That's it. I just kept it that like that simple. If I didn't understand it, then I asked questions. That simple. And then from there, as far as college, as, as far as college sports, everything was faster. But I realized um, I could not rely on my skills as far as being quick and fast and all that. I had to rely heavily on my technique. Yeah. So that was one thing that I learned very, very quickly. Learn the playbook and rely heavily on your technique. Like being a corner, use your eyes. Like my eyes were the biggest, the best and strongest tool that I had. The best weapon that I had was my eyes as a corner to be able to see everything that's happening and see, okay, listen, if I got two receivers to my side, if one coming in, one coming out. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, it's just basic stuff. You know, you look, I'm as a corner, I'm, I'm off coverage and I'm watching. I'm like, okay, if I see the tackle, if his head pop up or his head go down, that tells me if it's a run or a pass. But if you're not paying attention to the game and you're not really uh, focused on the game, some people are just like, yo, I'm just trying to dominate the person that's in front of me. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's see how far that gets you. <laughs> how did you get into public speaking, you know, from, from a career of football and school? You know, how did you, what was that motivation for you to pursue public speaking as a career path? Yeah, um, as far as getting into the motivational speaking thing, it wasn't something that I, I necessarily chose. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a teacher that kept asking me if I would come to the school and speak to the students because one day, you know, we just reconnected. She's like, oh, hey, Brad, how you doing? Is everything all right? I was like, yeah, everything's good. She's like, what you been up to? I was like, I went to college and I got my bachelor's degree. And she was like, what? Like, she <laughs> was lost because she was like, no, I remember you being in my my classes in special ed classes like i remember you struggling with soft skills like reading writing basic math you know comprehension you struggled in all those areas i'm like yeah i did and she was like for you to have gotten to the point where you actually got your bachelor's degree brad like you have to come back to school and talk to these kids and i said oh man no <laughs> and she was like why i was like nah i was like uh -uh, i don't have a story like what makes me worthy to 
come and talk to these kids and whatever. Like, nah, like I'm good. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> so she asked me about four or five more times and I finally said, yeah. And by that time I started actually researching it and thinking about the industry and stuff. I said, maybe I can do this. I'm like, okay. So I went in and I, I did my thing. And uh, she was like, wow, that was really good, Brad. Like you really might have something with this. She was like, the kids have been asking you about you all year. Like, where is he? Where is he speaking next? And what's, what's he doing now? What's he up to now? <laughs> like, so, Brad, you were able to captivate these kids. You really might have something. So you might want to look into how you can turn this into a business or something along those lines. So, so OK. And from then on, I went, found myself a mentor and got to work. I don't know if you viewed it as a weakness or a shortcoming to something that kind of propelled you into your purpose, into your strength. Um, I believe that we all have uh we have strengths and i don't like to call them weaknesses i like to call them limitations yeah and the way i see it is i lean heavily on my strengths and the areas that are limitations i don't worry about those i either get somebody to help me with that or i pay somebody to help me with it or i ask for help in that area instead yeah. of racking my brain trying to do a certain thing when i know i'm not good at it so uh, that's the best advice that I can give to people when it comes to like your, your gifts and your limitations and thinking about things in terms of, you know, uh, what's good and what's bad or what do you do good or what do you do bad? Mm -hmm. um, I, it's strengths and limitations. Lean heavily on the things that you do well so you can master those things and then get someone to help you with the things that you're not the strongest in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I think I think it's just it's interesting that you were able to speak at a school that you once went to that teachers identified you as X, you know, but by you overcoming what their expectation or what they've seen from you, it kind of propelled you into a different direction. And that and that's very, very interesting to me. What, what have you learned about yourself uh, through this whole process of being a kind of an entrepreneur, public speaker and things like that? Being talented is not enough. Yeah. By being talented or being skilled, it's not enough. It's it's the same thing that you find in the world of sports. It's the same thing, the same exact principles. There are people out there who are very gifted as far as their athleticism, but they ain't going to the league. Yeah. They ain't going. They ain't going to the <laughs> NBA. They ain't going to the NFL. Why? Because if you don't have the work ethic to match it, you ain't going nowhere. It's cats in the NFL who made it strictly off of work ethic. Yeah. Work ethic. Like, like, I, I don't know what other way to put it for people. Like, they think it's some magical and mystical thing that puts you in position to be one of the greats or to have an opportunity. And that's not what it is. It's the fact that you work so much and you work so hard on your craft that other people start to notice. Like, being able to execute, being able to uh, put 100% of your effort into a thing, and, like, people recognize that. It becomes infectious. Like, because there's some people out there who are literally like they're some average individuals and they do average things. So they have no idea what it looks like to work to 100% of your ability, your capability, right? So when they see somebody who's maxing out on something, like they're applying so much pressure, they about to make the floodgates break. They like, they've never seen that before, mm -hmm. but they respect it. I want to ask you, looking back over everything you've been through thus far as an entrepreneur, as a student, as an athlete, um, what advice would you give your younger self? Oh man, advice I would give my younger self is uh, get started now. Like you can yeah. start speaking now. You can be a motivational speaker right now.
um, and I don't care what age they would like if I was to go back and be dropped at like whatever age it was I could literally find a way to do it um, if I had the opportunity to do so mm-hmm. but what I do know is now I know some people say you know if you could go back and change anything would you the answer is no I wouldn't go back and change anything because if anything would have changed in my past I can't guarantee that I'd be the man I am today yeah yeah so also just kind of leading into my next question what does trust the process mean to you man trusting the process means everything um trusting the process means you are committed to seeing a thing all the way through to the end whether you get the reward or not yeah because it's not about whether you get the reward or not it's about the person that you become on the journey to attempting to get this reward, get this championship, win this game, win this, whatever it is. Of course, everybody wants to win, wants to be a champion, but most people don't ask themselves this question. What happens if I don't win? Am I still the same, like, am I still the same person? Do I still have that same heart, that drive, that same vigor to work or put the, the, the effort in, even if, I knew I was not going to win. Mm. Like I was always that. like I had, so when I was at Kane, I did not start when I was at Kane. I was a walk-on. So there were many cats ahead of me, right? Mm-hmm. But I practiced super hard. I was always ready for, you know, if I ever was in a game, which is what led me to play semi-pro and then get recruited because I wanted to prove myself as a player. It wasn't good, the college wasn't good enough for me. My experience, I should say, wasn't enough. So when we would practice, I remember one day the starting running back, he came up to me one day and he was like, yo, bro. He was like, um, why you work so hard? Like, I don't understand. Like, they don't, they like, I know you nice. Like, I know you can, like, you can ball, bro. I see you every day at practice clamping these receivers, clamping our starting receivers, bro. And I'd see that they don't really seem to respect it or whatever, but I see you. So he's like, but if I was in your shoes, like I probably would be taking off, you know, for the pra- at practice and stuff. I wouldn't be working as hard. He's like, why do you work so hard? I was like, I've always kind of worked that way. I've mm-hmm. always treated practice where I work harder in practice than I do in the game because the game becomes easy for me when you work hard at practice. Yeah. So that's always been my method. Like it's always been, my, there's always been a method to the madness for me. So it was like, yo, I'm gonna go hard at practice, every rep doing everything I can to be the best I can. So that, you know, there's some games I've played when I'm actually up there with a receiver, I'm running with him, I'm laughing while I'm running with him. <laughs> and he, and like, I've pissed off some receivers like, yo, what are you laughing at? Like, what, what is so funny, Neff? Like, I'll kill you out here. I'm like, yo, I can't believe I can, laugh and run with you at the same time this is easy you're not not about to catch a pass this whole game oh yeah lockdown yeah i was like you can you can clamp bro (laughs) you know like and mind you it wasn't something that i actually had to say to him but he could see it in my face that what there's no fear in me bro you you don't scare me you don't there's no fear in my heart at all i just work too hard like i didn't like people catching passes on me in practice yeah, you created that habit for yourself. Oh yeah, it was a, it was um, it's, it's sickening. It's a sickening habit, and some people <laughs> can't stand to be around it. Some oh. people cannot stand to be around it. It's like, yo, I can't do this. Yo, I used to have receivers coming up to me like, yo, bro, could you please take it easy today? <laughs> like, my body is sore. I don't feel like doing this with you. Like, I'm like, uh huh. I'm like, well, then go on the other side. Is there any last words that you want to leave with the listener? 
So with everything that's been going on with this uh, whole pandemic situation, I know it's been crazy. Something that in the likes that we have never seen before. I think it was only, it was like a hundred years ago when something like this happened. Um, man, <laughs> I want people to understand that we're not living in a pandemic. We're living in purpose. Hmm. We're not living in a pandemic. We're living in purpose because the only thing that this whole COVID-19 pandemic situation has done the only thing that it did was show you the real version of you mm. and and the people that are around you right because if you were going to go hard you went you pretty much went 10 times harder during the season right because you couldn't sit still like you felt like man i gotta do something i can't just sit around and do nothing and then those who were like man i don't feel like doing nothing. i'm gonna do it tomorrow then they still have not done anything mm. so we're not living in a pandemic we're living in purpose Anybody who was out there, like they was a go-getter, they was gonna go get it. They was like, yo, I'm about to turn it up to 10 because it, what it does is it gives me an opportunity for those who are already ahead of me, for me to catch up to them. Yeah. Because those who are like, oh man, well, we gotta sit down. We gotta shut down business and this is not, man. We can't do things that we used to. Well, we're gonna take a break and whatever. Yo, it was some other cast that was like, I'm on your heels now. Now I'm on your heels because you sitting down and you taking a break and I'm putting my foot on the gas. Oh yeah. And then there's others who are just like, yeah, this is even more of an excuse for them to just sit down and not do anything at all. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to join me on the podcast and to share your story. Uh, where can the listeners find you if they want to, you know, give you feedback on this episode or just tap into everything that you have going on? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to catch me for booking or anything like that, you can go to www.bradbutler2.com. Uh, you can catch me on all social media platforms at Brad Butler II, which represents the Roman numeral two, Brad Butler II. On all so social uh, media platforms, you can hit Google and just type in Brad Butler the second and I'll pop up. Um, you, so you can find me pretty much anywhere that you uh, have a social media platform. And if you're definitely looking to catch some of my content, I'm always posting stuff, whether it's pictures, videos, things of that nature, just to keep people inspired. This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth. Overcome. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I want to be and how I want to be remembered. Like that was my thing. Right? You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I want to leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I want to leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through. And not to only broadcast these things, but for it to inspire change.